Hey, joining us, Mr. Eric Tesmer. Good to see you. How are you doing, my friend? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Staying so sane. I want to, what's that? Staying sane. Doing the best I can. I think I'm feeling pretty good overall. Uh, but now that we're at the kind of seven, eight month mark, new challenges present themselves. So I think I've been very useful at the time so far. And I'm interested to hear what you've been doing. But uh, now that we're hitting this new kind of area of this isn't ending soon, I'm interested to know how I'll, I'll do over the next four to six to 12 months. But getting to you, how were things looking for you kind of mid-March? And what did you have planned for the spring and the summer? I know you released a single that was very exciting and, and definitely took a hit from this whole lockdown. But what yeah. were you? kind of gearing up for at that time and then also what have you been doing over the last six to seven months um well man when uh when it hit it was like what it like hit on like the 13th or something of march which was like the day we released a single and you know the single was with nancy wilson the pesh mode cover was really cool i mean i was super proud of it and it was just like man it was just dead um, I guess leading up to mid-March, uh, from January, February, we were on the road pretty much that whole time, which, you know, you know, as a touring musician, like, well, let me turn off my, my phone ringer, pro tip. Um, as you well know, because, I mean, obviously, we've played shows together out on the road, out in the middle of yep. tour land. Yep. Uh, to be touring during, like, January and February, I mean, that's like kind of, that's a real deal. You know, it's like, if you can be like bringing out crowds in that weather, you know, going through the, the Northeast and whatever. And so like we had, uh, the thing is we had, we were the most prepared we'd ever been that we had our ducks in the row, the most we ever had. Yeah. And it was just, you know, just, we had the most amazing year planned and, you know, confirmed like through August and then everything just, uh, so, I mean, yeah, in a way that's a total bummer, but, um, I'm definitely one of those people. I have this really annoying habit. Uh, I was born an eternal optimist. And so like, I always try to find like the good in stuff. And if it's gonna, if it's all going to go to shit, then, um, it, you're really doing yourself a disservice to sit there and just like wallow in it. I mean, no one needs to be wallowing in shit. So um, I'm sorry. I'm cussing on your thing already. No, I, cussing um, is welcome. Encouraged okay. even. Oh, yeah. All right. So um, <clears throat> is uh, what had been happening, um, you know, I mean, you've known me for years, but, but uh, you know how it is like, as John Lennon said, you know, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Um, my entire adult life, like I'd been away, you know, we're both Wisconsin boys. I, uh, I left home when I was, you know, 18 and I got, I very rarely got back and it turned into this thing where I went home and it seemed like just one day when my parents were old mm -hmm. and, you know, I just, it fucked with me pretty hard. And so mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, and my dad just retired a couple years ago and he uh, just got a cancer diagnosis like last year or just to the end of the year of 2018. And so 
it's like, you know, I go, I go back as much as I can. And when my tour schedule just like was gone, um, I've gone up there and I've stayed like two to three weeks at a time and really got to hang out with my parents and help them out with stuff. And it's been really good. And to be honest, my, uh, um, so I've been playing guitar since I was just a little kid, like hours a day. And, you know, sometime around April, I just, I kind of just stopped playing guitar for a little while. And what had, it turned out was that I had developed like really terrible, um, what's it called? Uh, tennis elbow and golfer's elbow. Oh, I think it tennis is on the outside and golfers on the inside. I had them both in both arms really bad. And I was living with this like constant pain in my, my elbows. And I just, you know, I just was so used to it that I never really noticed it. And now that it's like had a chance to like, just go away. Like, Oh my God, I can't tell you how good I feel like every day, but yeah. Um, that was March and that's been since then. So, um, lately I've been getting back into songwriting, been, uh, working on new tunes. We've got a few gigs coming up. I mean, I don't know when this is going to air or if it's like immediate or what, but, um, we have some shows coming up. Like we're trying to do some socially distance shows at Antone's and one in Houston. yeah, one in Houston at Rockefeller's. We'll see how it goes. I know that yesterday was like the highest number in Austin since summer. Yeah. So it's, you know, we'll, we're just playing it by ear, you know, no pun intended, but, uh, yeah, I mean, shit. Uh, but other than that, man, well, I'm super sorry. I'm really sorry to hear about your pops, man. Is he, is he doing okay now or is it still? He's doing great, man. Like it's like, he's, they've been really careful. And of course, you know, they live up in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. So it's pretty easy for them to socially distance because they automatically are already. Um, but they're, they're really careful. My dad only goes anywhere to go to, to drive to Madison for hospital tests and stuff, but he's doing really good. And I think they kind of have it under control, at least for the time being. So that's good to hear, man. Yeah. My, my, both my parents are, um, they're fine at the moment. Uh, they both come from relatively small families. So my mom just had one brother and my dad has one brother and one sister and both my dad and my mom's brother died within the last like 16 months. It, my mom's dad died unexpectedly last fall, my uncle. And then like a couple months later, my, my dad's dad got pancreatic cancer and he passed just like a couple months ago so you definitely I'm definitely kind of you know even though my parents are healthy at the moment god bless um you know when they get to that age man you never know so it's really nice that you got to spend a lot of time with them I haven't been able to get you know we usually go up to Wisconsin with my daughter and wife in the summers and obviously now we haven't done any traveling so we haven't seen them I guess it would be since Christmas, but we're not, we have no plans to go back up there. I mean, it's just, we're playing it super safe. So I don't know when the next time I'll see him in person is, but hopefully sooner than later, we'll see. Yeah. But, I mean, um, when I, uh, when I go up there, man, like I, like the two weeks before whatever, like month before I go up, like I just, I don't talk to anybody. I mean, I talk to people, but I, I don't go anywhere. I just kind of, you know, be by myself. And of course, like the week leading up to it, I'm, I'm, like getting all the tests done and everything to make sure that it's just a, it's just a weird, a weird time, man. And, uh, it's just, 
I think for a while, I mean, like I said, I don't know when this is going to, like this airs or whatever, but like right now, probably three, four weeks, unless you really want me to put it out, I can put it out. But oh, yeah, no, 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 that's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like what right now today is the Thursday after election day, right? I mean, this absolute horse cock insanity, you know, like it's just fucking like, what the fuck is going on right now? And, you know, know like that. there's so many people who are so mad at each other. And man, if you really just step back from it, it's all on just somebody's say so, you know, yeah. like people are like, if you did the research, it's like, man, how much of research that pe research that people are doing is just like looking up the websites that kind of are the echo chamber of what they think. And then just like latching on to whatever they want to hear. And it's, it's in, it's absolutely insane. Like, I, I don't, where I'm going with this is like, when I go to Wisconsin to see my parents, like, you know, it's a rural place and, you know, people, I don't need to wear a mask or it's like, man, this, this is just like day one stuff, man. Like, like, I'm not saying you're stupid at all, you know, but like, I'm saying like maybe viral pathology might not be your strong suit, you know, like, Fuck, come on. I like, know, man. And and the whole, like, I, I think I could be a bit presumptuous here, but I think I'm pretty pretty on point with, with you, where you come from, the person you are, whatever. My guess is you, you're probably somewhere in the middle. You're probably a middle kind of path person. Maybe you're more liberal or maybe you're more conservative. I'm not really sure. But I know a lot of people like myself and others, um, it's either liberal or it's middle. You know, I don't know. I, I'm sure there are some conservative, you know, musicians, artistic people out there. But for the most people, most of my peers, and I know we share a lot of peers, definitely liberal and middle. But I'm definitely middle. And so I always find myself being the devil's advocate, man, like all the time. So people on the left think I'm on the right and people on the right think I'm on the left. But I'm just trying to have conversations about it. And we don't need to get into that now. But no, I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you bring it up because, I mean, that's that's really if you can't have conversations, if everyone's completely polarized and like, for some reason you think that if somebody doesn't agree with you completely, like to think that that's like, well, this is, you know, agree to disagree. I mean, we just Mexican standoff, like what? Like, that's not like how like communities are built or neighbors or patriots. Like people think that it's like, it's just, it's almost like when you have like ideas of patriotism and then there's like this fraternal thing with like you know the troops and the soul and the the cops and you know everything it's like okay like i don't dude like i'm not my family are veterans you know like i don't inherently have anything against having law enforcement like i'm not a defund the police i'm but to to have citizens like it's our constitutionally given right to ask questions you know like who's like there could be nothing less american than having anyone in any walk of life uh be denied the right to question authority right mm -hmm. so it's just bizarre to me and like you're saying i've had the same conversation that that you just brought up like 
you have to have conversations. Like if you don't have conversations, then you just have echo chambers and you have this. I mean, that's going to be a civil war. And to think that you yeah. have more in common with some guy in office than you have with your next door neighbor is absolute insanity, you know? And one last point I'd like to say is Bring that on, with politicians or people in government, um, if you really, to be honest, like the more boring they are, it's probably the better. And that it's absolute, just batshit fucking like insanity to treat any type of politician as like, this is my guy. This is our only hope. First off, if you think that about anybody, you've already played yourself. Second, like politicians and people in government are not sports teams. You know, like, it's not like, you know, we're going to win it this year. No matter what happens, I'm sticking with you. It's like, whoa, you need to find somebody who no one's going to perfectly align with you, you know, you know, so you find the person who gets the closest. It's like buying a train ticket, you know, like no train is going to go to your house, but you're going to find the train that gets you the closest there, you know, and it's, you're not going to be like, you know what, you know, the, the, the 10, 15 train we're in it to win it. It's like, no, it's the fucking train you take to get to where you're trying to go. You know, like where you think is the best place. I don't know. No, I hear you, man. And, and I think whether you're on the right or the left, I think people, especially at this, in this climate at this time, and it's, it's election time at, you know, and it's all these other factors, of course, but uh, I, to me, what's become so crystal clear, especially over the last year, but two, three years as my kind of own political awakening is, is occurring. It's just the, you cannot, underestimate the incompetence of government of the government on both sides i mean it just runs it is the the incompetence level is profound it's profound and and on both sides of the aisle so when you're saying you know you you're putting all your vitriol into how much you hate this guy and how much how you're going to call him every name in the book and everybody who who aligns himself with that person is evil and wrong and a nazi and, or a communist that person you know and like, it's like dude do you realize that the person you the side you're voting for is kind of like totally incompetent I mean, i'm saying this about both sides and i right. and i so but anyway um but yeah i mean that's the whole thing is like you know when people just shut it down if there's a disagreement or just name call if there's a disagreement that has no that has no positive outcome whatsoever we have to live with each other for christ's sake we have to live with each other i mean you know no one's leaving the country i mean maybe 0.0001 percent might decide to live elsewhere but so anyway i enjoy talking about this stuff by the way but i don't want to take your whole uh podcast it doesn't matter to me like i'm glad to have somebody to talk to about it you know it's i mean having those conversations and like you know, and along your point and my point, like um, you talk about like a politician, like let's say whether it be, at, you know, at this juncture, definitely the two big names are Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump. Like, like, let's say, all right, so I am, I am definitely, I grew up in rural Wisconsin, you know, definitely, whereas, you know, we both know that Wisconsin is a really cool um old school state but it's actually progressive you know and 
So it's like I grew up in a rural area. I grew up farming, you know, so that has a conservative values, whatever that even means these days. Right. And but at the same time, like with like respect for the environment, you know, and conservation, um, which, you know, tend to be more like left leaning. Like, I, I don't mm -hmm. like to really say like uh, Republicans and liberals and stuff, because like those those have turned into buzzwords that just like. I, you know, they're just like immediate reactions, like mentally, you're just like, oh my God, this is like blah, blah. Right. Um, so, um, the thing is like, it's Joe Biden or, or Donald Trump, let's say, um, my wife and I just bought a house. Uh, so. Congratulations, by the way. I saw it, it looks like a beautiful house. Yeah, it's, it's cool, man. Uh, and it's a cool neighborhood. You know, it's not, I'm stoked that it's not, uh, that we could afford to, to grab a place that wasn't in just like cookie cutterville. Um, but all that aside, a house is a house, right? Um, and, you know, along those lines, I, I'm still a country boy. So I'm just like, oh my God, I need to get out in the country. Why am I in this neighborhood? But um, no, I love the house. First thing that happens next door neighbor has like, pickup truck parked out front basically in front of my house giant trump flags hanging off the back all right so i'm not a fan of trump but at the same time like i get i'm trying to figure out how i want to say this like if you have uh joe biden or donald trump like if either one of those is your guy you know but let's say your neighbor is going for the other guy okay and like when I say that I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, it doesn't mean that I think Joe Biden's going to solve all the problems, you know, like Joe Biden. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's just Joe Biden's a politician, you know, like, mm -hmm. so that's yeah. what Joe Biden does. And I'm not making any delusions in my head about <laughs> what's going to happen um, anyway. But what my actual point is about this is that, you know, whether Joe Biden is never going to live next door to me, but this guy is, you know, my neighbor is. And like, if I can't see past his political affiliation, despite the fact that I might not agree with it, if I can't see past that, like, what does that make me any better then? And as far as being a citizen, I'm failing if I can't get past that. And the thing is, like, the guy seems like a nice guy. I'm like completely fucking antisocial anyway. So like, he hasn't got to talk to me much. And uh, especially since I saw him carrying a guitar, I was like, I do not want to get in this conversation with this guy. But uh, <laughs> I'll never let you off the hook. He'll never I'm just trying to go inside. Uh, but I mean, the thing is like, it's ever since Trump got elected, um, you know, it's, it's been it's been really i think guys on both sides of the issue left right middle wherever you sit since trump got elected it's been fucking weird man the last four years in this country none of us ever seen anything like it you know yeah. um and right when he got elected man it was just you know uh i like to read uh i don't consider myself like the smartest guy ever but i mean i like to look at stuff with some perspective and like the thing that always has rang in my ears about this is like the nietzsche quote of be careful fighting monsters 
lest you yourself become the monster, you know? And how many people have you seen on the news, uh, on Twitter, um, just get like saying shit that you're like, why? I never could ever imagine a human being with any justification justification for acting or talking like this it's insane like and so like like you're saying like you're gonna do all this wild shit like what's that helping there's no positive outcome from it so yeah i think just to kind of start to put this to rest uh i think we're also kind of all uh being manipulated by the times and the the social media and the media the mainstream media as well and and i think we have a lot less power over the situation than we would like to admit um and i think some of us can take steps back and a lot of us can't and even the ones who can take steps back are still uh vulnerable to this completely unprecedented psychological uh moment that we're in with the the intensity and social media and the mainstream media and the biases and all that stuff but um i would say it's like a psychological overstimulation it's just like i don't think the human brain was wired to deal with all this right absolutely work your nine to five job and raise your family and whatever but right man no it's so weird it's just so weird but we'll see man well we'll We'll see. Lots of, lots to be uh, decided in the next 48, 72 hours, although who knows. But so I think I know uh, uh, what's that? So we're not going to figure it out right now. No, but it's fun. It's enjoyable to, to just hash it out a bit. So I think I know um, a decent chunk about kind of your backstory, Eric, but uh, I, I'm kind of always most interested with um, superly fantastic musicians like yourselves, their, their roots in the music itself. So I know a little bit just on what I've talked to you about and read about you and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I know you grew up in rural Wisconsin and you're a farm boy, as you said. And, but what, when did you start playing guitar and who were your earliest inspirations? And then as you got older, kind of your teen years, um, who really got you going and inspired you and you wanted to emulate in those early years? Uh, man, well, um, when I was a little kid, my dad, uh, my dad's a musician. He plays guitar. Um, and when I was a little kid, you know, he would always, on the weekends, he'd be gone playing gigs. And when I was a little kid, I remember I used to fall asleep, listening to him play guitar, um, practicing downstairs. And, uh, you know, my grandma Tesmer, she played guitar. And on that wow. side of the family, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And she'd always play all these Depression-era folk songs. That's when she grew up. Um, but you know, my, my grandma and my dad just had that love affair with guitar. And for me, it was something that was just always around. And like, I just, there was never any, I never had it pushed on me, but I just always felt like this, like draw to it, you know? And uh, so my brother doesn't play guitar. My dad actually bought my brother a guitar. And uh, when he was 12 and I was eight, and my brother, I think he maybe learned a chord or two and then he, whatever, just, he didn't, he didn't take to it, you know? And, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. So that's when I, I think I really started messing around with it. Um, so when I was a kid, like my biggest hero was uh, my dad, you know, like I just thought he was the greatest guitar player that ever had been. And, uh, and then as, you know, I, I grew up, you know, my dad was, uh, 
when he was in college, he was actually a radio DJ. And uh, so my dad always like, he had the CD player and the, the home studio and stuff when it came out. And uh, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I grew up listening because my, on the other side of the coin, my mom uh, was part of Beatlemania, you know, like every girl around that time was. And she actually won, uh, her, her friend and her won tickets on the radio and got to see the Beatles' first tour uh, when she was wow. 15. So um, I can't remember what stadium in Minneapolis it was, but they drove from central Wisconsin all the way to Minneapolis. And uh, shit, man. pretty crazy cool. story here. But like, you know, like back then, like the Beatles would play like 20, 30 minutes and that was it. You know, that was mm -hmm. a concert. And they'd play on these stages that were like, you know, basically card tables, you know, like, you know, like kind of like the festival stages we planned. Yeah, but, of course. But like, you know, shitty PA and like, but of course, like probably the greatest amps and guitars that we all lust after nowadays. Um, but my mom told me that when the Beatles uh, got on stage, that like everyone just started screaming and crying, like mm -hmm. bawling. And I was like, you know, whatever, mom, you know, that's crazy. You know, just see all these excitable girls. And like years later, when Paul McCartney, you know, played in Austin for the first time, I can't remember, what was that 2012 or 13 or something? Mm -hmm. um, I was playing on 6th Street and uh, his road crew came in to Friends on a Monday night where we always mm -hmm. played. And the dudes were like, man, I haven't heard stuff like this since uh, I guitar teched for Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck. And I was like, what like fuck can you i call my dad up real quick can you tell him that but no um so anyway they put us on the list like row 18 front and center for paul mccartney and like as soon as he came out man he hit the stage he's playing eight days and not eight days a week i just started bawling it was just so overwhelming wow um flipping back to my mom's story though when they were tearing down this this roadie walked by carrying john lennon's red guitar and uh, my mom was like, can I touch that? And they got, and her story, the guy was like, no. And so she was just like, touched it and just jetted. So I was like, that's so badass. So. Got that juju. Yeah, oh yeah, man. Well, my juju. dad, the, the ultimate letdown story is my dad told me, he's like, yeah, when I was in high school, like, because he, he lived in Sheboygan. Mm -hmm. uh he said when i was in high school in like 67 hendrix was playing at a bar in madison well just i'm <laughs> you know, like how was it you know how was it and he was like oh my parents wouldn't let me go <laughs> i was like that's the week you run away from home they'll take you back man like that's holy shit can you imagine yeah. seeing jimmy hendrix in a madison bar Oh my god! Like goosebumps right now, man. Fuck. Anyway, anyway, so that like I grew up listening to wow. you know the Beatles a lot, like a lot of Pink Floyd, a lot of Hendrix, a lot of Cream. You know, it's pretty big publicized part of my story that my dad named me after Clapton Hendrix. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll tell you, like one of my first guitar heroes after my dad. Uh, because you know when you're a kid like you hear music you're like oh yeah I like this or I like that but you're not like 
who's playing guitar, who's playing the drums, who produced this? I just like music, you know? And then like, I think my first guitar hero really other than my dad was Slash. Cause when I started like digging music on my own, I think the music that I've been raised on kind of put me to that, you know, I like good guitar tone and I like stuff that kicked ass. And then I got into Guns N' Roses and I was like, damn, this is some badass shit. Like I remember my buddy had an LP of, his dad had an LP of Appetite for Destruction. And God damn, was that just like, geez, electric tits, man. That was just mm -hmm. awesome. And then, uh, you know, from there, I started to really, like, go back into the music that I was raised on and just, like, really start to pay attention to it. It's not like I was hearing it for the first time, but it's like I was hearing it with fresh ears. You know, I went back and, like, I got so hard into Zeppelin, so hard into Deep Purple, um, just as, like, hard rock bands, you know, as yeah. they'd probably be called. But um, then, I mean, my obsession with Hendrix just grew because i was i mean Jimi hendrix was something i always heard it was just like always around i always heard uh jimmy hendrix and i always heard pink floyd um so you know when i really picked up guitar by that time i was so into pink floyd and pink floyd was my first real concert that wasn't going to see my dad play wow yeah jealous I, yeah I saw how old were you when you saw floyd I was 12. Whoa. Uh, I saw. So was that, that would have without waters. Yeah. Um, without waters. So that was a. Uh, July 3rd, 1994 Camp Randall Stadium. It was the, the, the last tour. Damn. Um, wow. I was in section QQ. Um, anyway, I mean, it was insane because, Whoa, um, you know, Gilmore. I mean, he, once I really started studying guitar and like, you know, one, trying to get sounds out of it, man, like, like Gilmore was the fucking guy. And like, once I saw Pink Floyd when I was 12, because I grew up, you know, listening to him all the time. But when I saw them, and by the time I was 12, I was already watching like The Wall, like, you know, a couple times a week, you know, which is not normal 12 year old stuff. No, uh, no. But like I knew every word to every song. I knew all the guitar solos. And when I saw uh, Pink Floyd and I saw Gilmore play the solo for Comfortably Numb and the entire stadium went black and this giant disco ball is spinning around. It's probably 50 feet wide. And like, you know, Gilmore is such an emotive player. And it's just so lyrical. And he doesn't rush. Uh, and he's just like, it's just like he's just singing the most beautiful song you've ever heard. Mm -hmm. And like the words don't matter because there it is. And like he's playing this and like this disco ball spinning and it opens like an iris to the music. And it's like, holy shit, y'all. Like this is the most amazing. It's probably the most amazing thing I've seen yeah you know like goddamn, and like in that moment i was like dude like i can't do anything other than play guitar like i'm gonna be a guitar player because that just like holy shit you know 12 years old and i just saw i was like i feel like i just stared god in the face i was like god damn that shit is insane wow. and like it, and then like you know so i really got attached to 
that feeling. And like, to me, from that moment, uh, I realized that to me, like, you know, people, like I can't dance, you know? Uh, and, you know, it's just, to me, like a lot of people are like, okay, well, I listen to music for the words or like, I listen to the music for the beat and the drums or the bass so that I can dance or I listen to this because when I'm feeling down, it gives me comfort. And mm -hmm. for me, it was always like, lock me in to that fucking energy because like, I feel like my, my being like it, it understands energy. It understands like, mm -hmm. like all the, all these things like comfort, dancing, all that stuff. It's a different form of energy, but it's all just this, to me, it's like this energy translation. And when you, I feel like when people lock into that music and you find that frequency that it's at, I'm not trying to get too existential here, but I mean, it just, I think it's more science really. But yeah. I mean, I think when, when you, you know, I mean, you sit in front of a room of people who are just like, just like with you. And like when everyone's together on that thing and that energy starts like to just build around the room and it's like, it's jumping from person to person. Dude, like fuck drugs. Like what, what is that? Because that's yeah. all I ever want to feel, you know? So, and that's uh, a lot of how I kind of approach songwriting too, is just like, you know, when people send me a bunch of words and I'm like, okay, well, but like, what is this? what's the feel you know like what's, mm -hmm. what's the energy pushing behind this like right so i love i just first of all I'm, I'm so glad you're connected with your uh past and your roots so strongly because i love hearing about that i love talking about it and it certainly sounds like you you had an exceptionally profound experience at young at pretty young you know what i mean like to, to i think you said you started at about eight and then to have that religious experience at 12 i didn't start I, for me that was all kind of happening at the same time i always loved music but i mean i my i didn't start playing until i was 15 and i was really kind of taking all those religious super existential moments in right around that 14 you know 14 to 15 is when hendrix floyd zeppelin the blues metallica all these things were coming in and i was just obsessed with the exactly what you're talking about the energy so kind of following that line um in terms of you know you being kind of on the younger side of of everything in terms of a trajectory in music i know you you said and i believe i knew that uh prior was that you came to austin when you were 18. so i came when i was i think 20 five or 26. So I don't, I, I wouldn't say I was a fully formed artist, but I was 70% there. So I'm very interested to know your experience moving to Austin as an 18 year old, where I don't, I can't speak for what, where you were at, you know, in terms of your, how formed you were or how much uh, of the skills you have now, or when you were 30 or when you were 18, but, you know, kind of take us back to those first year, two or three in Austin. Did you did you, I know when I first came here, I came here alone. I didn't know anybody. Something tells me you had a similar thing. And I remember one of the first things I saw was like, um, was, uh, you know, uh, Austin Chronicle or, or free paper with all the listings of musicians. Yeah. And I was just like, holy fucking shit. Good I was luck. like, all right, let's get to work. Let's go. Yeah. But I mean, at least I, I, I you know, I, I, 
I, I knew that was kind of coming in, but as an 18 year old, I can't even imagine it. So why don't you kind of tell us what it was like those first, those first years you were here? Well, uh, all right. So, all right. So with, I mean, the background being Wisconsin, uh, it's important, I guess. I mean, for me, I feel it's important to lay out like kind of like the situation because I was like, you know, um, I wasn't a stranger to the world in a way because like when I was uh, a junior in high school, I was an exchange student in Germany. So like I had been outside of my hometown. I, I knew mm -hmm. the world was bigger than uh, rural Wisconsin. Uh, but it was, it was still amazingly naive. Uh, my senior year of high school, my drummer, in my high school band and I were going to move up to Madison because you know when you grow up in Wisconsin or you're kind of in a sheltered environment uh, you have to build your view of the outside world that you're dreaming about uh, from any source that you can find and you know this is pretty much you know pre-internet you know everything was dial up so it's like it wasn't really there wasn't really a not that like the internet is that great of a a barometer of reality now uh but like then it was just like this kind of rudimentary tool and so a lot of what we understood about the music industry was uh from like guitar world or guitar player magazine sure sure and you know as you get older if there's like you know if there's young musicians watching this or even older musicians watching this right now uh guitar center guitar world that stuff um while they have their good points and they have their place they are selling you a fucking dream you know and like the sooner you realize that your actual connection with music and people is what's actually creates amazing music instead of like whatever bullshit they're selling you the better off you'll be anyway so we had this idea and at that point you know there was no there was very little for do-it-yourself you know and so you, the, the big thing was to get signed you know like you had to get signed somehow and so we were like we got to move to a city to get signed because i don't think that the talent show in original center wisconsin is going to get us you know on MCA's radar. So we're like, we gotta move to a city. You're like, well, what's the closest city? It's like, oh, it's Madison. Madison's the closest city. So, okay, I guess we gotta move to Madison because like, we thought just like there'd be talent agents all over because it's a city, you know, as soon as you get the city limits, you know, there's talent agents everywhere. So anyway, so my best friend, I was like a week or two before graduation. He's like, hey man, let's skip school. We gotta talk to you. Turns out his girlfriend is pregnant. So, uh, he's like, oh, I can't move, you know, I can't do this. And I'm all bummed out. My dad's like, um, first off, we got to go back because the last question, like anybody who's ever heard me play knows that like Steve Ray Vaughan is a huge influence of mine. Mm -hmm. You know, like I have an obsession with Hendrix. I have an obsession with Steve Ray Vaughan, uh, you know, Elbert King, Elmore James, Freddie King, Johnny Guitar Watson. So like when I got to my teens, uh, I would actually, um, God, I'm sorry, I'm so all over the place chronologically. I'm trying to like stuff my life into a, like an hour, but. Um, I know it's tricky and I'm sorry I'm asking you to do it. <laughs> no, no, it's cool, man. It's like, it's always good to stop and just like take stock of it. But uh, yeah. when I was 
can't remember how old I was. My brother was in, had a, a band recital, uh, like junior high, I think, or whatever. Anyway, my parents had left me home alone. So I was old enough to stay home by myself. Um, and the only channel we got was PBS. Uh, we had every once in a while, you know, Fox 47 would come in from Madison, you know, on our thing, but um, I think that's how I watched Mork and Mindy when I was younger. Uh, but, but uh, you know, so Austin City Limits was the fucking main line, you know, like wow. I got to see like, so anyway, you know, I, I grew up reading my dad's guitar magazines and this guy came out on Austin City Limits and I, I didn't see the start of it, so I didn't know who he was. But he had this SRV on his guitar, and I was like, "There's something fucking different about this guy." Like I, yeah. I, and I was like, "God, I know I've seen that guitar. I've seen this guy in these magazines, and what the fuck? This is so badass!" And like, you know, it was like still in that form, stage of my life where I was like, "I don't know shit," you know, like I just know what I like. And like, I really like what you just said, because it's like, you know, you're getting into current, you're getting into Pink Floyd, Zeppelin Hendrix, you know, Metallica. It's like, I think it's so cool you threw Metallica in there because like kids are the fucking coolest when it comes to music because they mm -hmm. don't give a shit what's cool. Right. What's cool is what they like. You know, it's like right. you hear it with your ears and you're not judging it with your eyes. You know, you're not listening with your eyes. Yep. You're listening to it like you're not listening to it through your other, your friend's opinions. You're like, holy shit, you know, like, Metallica's badass. I remember when I was like, Metallica's fucking kicks ass. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. I still think they do, you know, like, but like, I mean, it's not necessarily like what I want to listen to. And like, I hate that as you get older and you get like somewhat jaded and you think, well, I don't want to listen to it. It doesn't have like, you know, some guys playing silver tone with dead strings. Right. Like, yeah. You know, Dan Electro yeah. Ramp. Like, come on, man. Like, purists suck. Anyway, um, so when I moved to Austin, flip back, you know, well, all right. So let me finish this thought about Stevie. Um, is that when I started getting into Hendrix and Cream, you know, Clapton and digging into this stuff, you know, a lot, you know, just like every story where it's like, I started reading the liner notes and be like, who the fuck are these yeah. people? Who are these yeah. guys talking about in interviews? And so I got into the blues so fucking hard, like just so like, and so there was, um, you know, I remember when being in high school and like, I always had, you know, my, my disc man, uh, you know, my long bus ride from out in the country into school and whatever, you know, same thing, and, man. Dude, it was the best. But bus like, ride, all about the bus ride music, man. It, it was, it was so yeah. important to me. Well, I mean, I, like, I, I was, same thing. When I was in middle school, I had the, the Walkman, you know, and my dad had a tape yeah. deck, going from like the, the, the turntable, so I'd like make recordings of, uh, Zeppelin, and you know, it's like I'm sitting there listening, like just analyzing every sound I hear on these you know, 90 minute max cell tapes. And, uh, you know, until they get destroyed, then I'd tape it again on another one, you know? And uh, of course I can't deny like Nirvana, like talking about shit that's cool, like Nirvana, what, like one mm -hmm. of the most badass bands ever. Uh, anyway, but when I, by the time I got into high school, I was so like, I listened to Pink Floyd, I listened to Hendrix, 
Zeppelin sometimes, and the rest of it was fucking straight blues. Like I just everything like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like I saw Kenny Wayne Shepherd when he was like 18 in the sandbar in arena and which like you know that was like i was watching this guy play and it's like dude he was fucking ripping and i was like he was crazy he's crazy man especially how young he was when he was doing that shit oh god it was so great it was like a that was like another thing was like oh my god i'm you're just like you're young i think i was 16 or 15 or 16 i was like I'm just so fucking excited watching this, man. I'm like, oh, God. It was like, that's what I want to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, so I got into all that shit. Anyway, so my buddy tells me, fast forward a couple years, my buddy tells me when we were skipping school that his girlfriend's pregnant, can't move to Madison. And so I'm like, oh, my God, all my hopes and dreams are getting dashed. You know, and my dad's like, the fuck are you so worried about your girlfriend's not pregnant like you can go wherever you want now he's like you could go to new york you go to la you go to nashville you could go to austin because he knew i mean obviously nobody who lived within like 30 miles of me was unaware of my absolute obsession with like steve ray vaughn jimmy vaughn Mm -hmm. all things austin so i was like the second he said austin was like that's where i'm moving you know that's where i'm going uh, so anyway, when I moved here, I literally rolled into Austin on my 19th birthday. So I left home when I was 18. I moved to Austin on my 19th birthday. And it was just like, I remember, I mean, the, you know, no cell phones. And I had calling cards, you know, pay phones. And uh, I remember calling my dad from the 7-Eleven on Guadalupe on the drag. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm in Austin. I just saw the Steve Ray Vaughan statue. And then I was, the gas station was playing KLBJ. And I was on the phone with my dad talking to him about how amazing Austin was. And, of course, you know, you're on UT campus, so you see, like, the hottest girls ever made walking by and everything. I was like, oh, my God, like, what is going on? And then I realized that KLBJ was playing comfortably numb, like, the the ending solo I was like what is going on you know so anyway when I first when I first got here man um I came down here on my 19th birthday I checked it all out um and I wanted to be prepared when I moved so using the fledgling internet at the time I had located a place to stay uh which was a uh townhouse in East Austin um and I got a room and the guy that rented me the room turned out to be in a cult. He turned out to be a sex addict. I mean, super fucking greasy dude, you know, and it was a bad situation. And so all my neighbors, uh, one of my neighbors, a guy named uh, Larry Henson, uh, he was in uh, gospel choirs. He was a gospel singer and he still is. And anyway, he, he got me playing guitar for these gospel choirs. And so I would, uh, you know, here I am 19 years old, touring around Texas um, in these gospel choirs. And I mean, we just go church to church. And like, I was I was the proverbial salt and the pepper shaker, you know, I was like the only white person anywhere we went, which I was like, dude, 
I mean, I grew up in rural Wisconsin listening to black music, you know, and where there are no black people. And I come down here and these dudes accept what I do and think I'm good. I was like, and it, it was like, it was such a validating thing on some level, as ridiculous as that may seem, but. No, uh, not ridiculous at all. Totally normal, actually. So, <laughs> that's, yeah, so, that's normal. So I was like, I was just like so into this and, you know, like it was fun, but at the same time, like, I mean, if you're not gonna be playing blues, like playing like old school gospel is not too far removed. You know, it's just like, different side of the same coin so um that was cool around that time um my dad had to have his hip replaced so at the time like i would sneak into clubs downtown and you know blues jams or whatever I, I got kicked out of joe's generic i got kicked out of 311 i got kicked out of black cat like uh which you know i don't know was just generic around when you moved here no because i to me like just generic was like the last great club as far as like sixth street because you know when 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 joe's closed and we played the very last show there um it, w it was like a i knew that the street was about to change you know mm -hmm. forever which, I mean, it's always changing. So it's not, it seems a lot more uh, huge in your mid 20s. Like, oh my God, this place is close. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, as if, like, all the other old musicians haven't seen every club before that is closed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so anyway, my dad had his hip replaced. So I moved home for like a year. I was like, because my, at the point, you know, rural family in Wisconsin are still heating the house with wood. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go home and cut down like a forest of trees, make sure my parents are okay. While I'm there, I might as well check out what college is like, because like I said, I was a, a German exchange student. So I tested into like third year German or something. And uh, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do this. So went there. I was like, by the end of the first semester, I was already in Thing, like two bands i was playing gigs like every night i could because um, i was going to school in eau claire mm -hmm. um so i wasn't in original center it's not like i was going there but but i was like miserable just absolutely fucking miserable like i'm this is not and like i was you know i already lived in the wild as an adult for a year and then i was in classes mostly with college freshmen who had never done barely wipe their ass by themselves at this point in their life um not that there's anything wrong with that but i was just like this sucks and you guys are idiots and like you know you i whatever um i hear you so i was like i gotta get back to texas so like by the time i was in my second semester of that year uh, it reminds me of that uh charlie robson song where he's like my friend's like hear me talk about that year because like i spent a year in college you know like that was that was fucking it man mm -hmm. i learned all i needed to you know i learned what i came to learn uh and that was that i had to get back to texas so i you know i got i played as much as i could practiced all the fucking time like saved as much money as i could got day job went would go home on the weekends after working graveyard shifts all week and playing gigs whenever i could and go home and work on the farm like just all this stuff 
got back to Austin. Um, and then, uh, right, you know, after I turned 21. So then I didn't have to, because like the biggest stumbling block to that point was my age. You know, like I, I kept mm -hmm. getting in trouble. I kept getting kicked out. I didn't have anybody that I could have take me to bars, you know, like, or be like, Hey, he's with me. He's a musician. Just give him a chance, you know, any of that stuff. So, uh, like, you know, like you said, you know, you didn't know anybody like go here, man, cold open in a new town as a musician. That's like, that's tough shit. I mean, that's like a, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. School in a different town right. kind of vibe, you know? So, yeah. Um, what uh, ended up happening was, you know, then the advice that all people are like, oh, hey, man, I'm new in town. What, what advice? And like, go to blues jams, man. If that, if you mm -hmm. play blues or blues-based music, great way to meet people and like learn about the scene and learn about how other people play around here is to go to a blues jam. Mm -hmm. So I went to blues jams. And then after the first one, uh, I got hired onto a blues band. And so I started touring with them. Um, and at that point, um, I had, when I moved back, I was like, I'm not finding a goddamn place to live on the internet again. Uh, I'll go down there and I'll find a place. So I ended up living in my car for a while, which, I mean, if you've never done that, it fucking sucks. Um, but, you know, means to an end. Um, but How anyway, long did you do that for? Uh, three weeks to a month. Okay. I mean, like, three weeks to a month living in a car. I mean, we're not talking road tripping. We're talking about living in your fucking car in one yeah. place. It yeah. sucks dick so hard. Anyway, um, unless, I, you know, unless, I mean, not judging. I'm just saying, if you think sucking dick's a great thing, then it's not that. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's a really shitty thing. Uh, yeah. so then, uh, the guy I was playing with, like, we ended up not getting along. Um, so I'll just leave it at that because time wounds all heals or whatever it says. Uh, anyway, so, um, by the time I played with this guy, I played with him for, I guess I started in like February. 2003 playing with this guy and then by june i started playing under my own name as because i was like man i'm gonna have to build up like you know all knowing everybody in my you know my skill set or whatever and like i'll start my own band in like two years or whatever like i you know you get these ideas of what you think you need to do or like what the mm -hmm. actual realistic plan is and the thing is, like with the music business, at least in my experience, it's just so fucking unpredictable. You know, like you don't know what's going to happen. And like here I was within like <laughs> four months or so. And here I am performing under my own name. And I have been ever since, you know, and it's it's been a wild, wild thing, man. But yeah, that was like my introduction to getting into the scene in Austin. And then at, at I guess around... By the time like 2004 rolled around, I was kind of like the the hot shot guitar player on Sixth Street, the young hot shot, whatever. So then that just snowballed into a whole drunken mess as time went on. But that's all. 
Nice. Well, just to go back on touch on some of those things you mentioned, because there's so much goodies in there, but uh, the uh, to go back to kind of the beginning of the thing you said is I, I was the exact same way with with kind of the the Hendrix cream Floyd and then you know the hard, the hard rock you just when you're in the if you if you like guitar music you, you're gonna hit on hard rock whether it's Guns N' Roses or Metallica or Nirvana because it's so it's undeniable the feeling you get from it yeah. but I, I I dove so hard into blues too and I was obsessed with the with the it was like for me it was like a treasure hunt when you're looking for the blue stuff i mean it was it was literally a treasure hunt you you get these you know magazines and you read about who your favorite guitar players favorite guitar players were and then you go into that rabbit hole and uh it, it's not only the, the magazines but like i remember a big source for me was they had these compilation albums which can be crappy but i found some good ones and i found one that was like i think it was called let astray and it was basically the original versions of all the Zeppelin, oh, yeah. Zeppelin covered a lot. So it was like Blind Willie Johnson, Howlin' Wolf, Robert Johnson, all those guys. And, and Joan Baez was on it. And it was all that thing. And that was a huge roadmap for me I, because some of it I knew and some of it was like, it was literally almost all the heavy hitters. And, uh, but I loved that part of the journey, man. I was, I was, I loved it. And the liner notes, like you said, and it's funny what you said about the creep you moved in when you first got here because the first few nights I was in Austin, man, I came down and I found like a $25 a night, just a place to stay for a few nights where I tried to find an actual home. And, and the people I was staying with had a couple other people that were staying and the, it was a couple and they were exorcists. They were literal exorcists. <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay, welcome to Austin. This is this is a good start. You can't yeah. you can't go wrong over here. Clean start. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and then also what you said about the gospel, I, I think that's awesome. I didn't know that about you. And I was just talking to um Dr. Joe yesterday, and he has a huge gospel background. But yeah, it's amazing. And, and I, I was very keen on what you said about, you know, if you can't find a a blues band or whatever to find, you know, playing gospel music is the next best thing. And, and we were just talking about how, uh, how, how crazy the, uh, the foundation of American and world music, it all comes back to the church. You know what I mean? It's like the black church is the entire pop music industry for the last 120 years. And I use pop as a general term, you know, I don't mean bubblegum pop. I mean, popular music, rock and roll, rhythm and yeah. blues funk yeah. rap all of it pop, um, pop is such a it's funny like i i grew up the same way and it might be the wisconsin thing but like you know you grow up as a musician in wisconsin you, you think of pop as a dirty word you know mm -hmm. but it's like the beatles are pop right. you know it's like pop is generally just good music like it's just like it's not that like blues is not good music but it's not pop music because it's not like it doesn't necessarily have the songwriting that pop has, you know? Yeah. Like for me, like to embrace pop in the last several years of my life, I'm just like, God damn. Cause it's like, it gets to a point, especially if like for someone with me, like my musical career has been completely um, based on guitar, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's how people know me. And like when you when you say my name, if somebody knows who I am, like that's what they think of is guitar, mm -hmm. and uh, that's I mean extremely flattering, um, but at the same time, like 
I am obsessed with songs, man. Like, it's just like, I love songwriting and I love really good songwriting. And that's why I write songs so fucking slowly is because I'm always just like, and I, for better or for worse, you know, like I, I'm amazed by dudes who can just like, like Tom Petty can write free falling in a day, you know, like, you know, like 15 minutes to write free falling. That's. Didn't Hendrix write, write, um, wind cries Mary in like 30 minutes and an offshoot, uh, like he just came up with it. They needed an extra song. I mean, that is such a beautiful song. I mean, uh, Hendrix, uh, of course, uh, uh, but, but, but wind cries Mary is such a beautiful song. That's one of the first songs that brought me into Hendrix actually was yeah. wind cries Mary. But uh, no, I hear you. What, what the fuck? How do you, how the fuck? I mean, for Christ's sake, what was there? 17 songs on that album. I mean, yeah, good well, Lord. Like, well, I mean, and it was just like built up from just like random recording sessions. Like whenever Chess Chandler had money, they just run him in there and do a few songs and run him out, you know. And like he was living in just like some apartment, you know. God damn, dude, that's this dude who'd never been out of this, you know. God, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, Hendrix. Hendrix is it's cliche, but Hendrix is the reason I picked up the guitar. It was Red House that literally got me to pick up the guitar, and I was my my Hendrix except uh, my Hendrix obsession was a seven to eight year super Hendrix, 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 obviously a lot of other shit too, but I was lucky enough to have Hendrix as during the Napster era and all the beginnings of that, where I found not only all the studio shit, but I was able to get so much of the, the live bootlegs that had never before yeah. been available on all these other studio shit that crazy. So I was lucky in that regard, but um, I know this, this has been amazing. I, I want to get to a couple other things before we, before we finish up kind of taking it from your beginning years in Austin and, and you've been here a while and you've done so much work and seen so much. I want to get your sense of Austin as a whole, um, where, where you saw it um, from when you got here, the middle years and where it is now, because obviously it's been changing so much so fast for so long. And you've seen such a extensive and dramatic arc of the city. Right. And I'm interested to know from the time you've been here, as best as you can tell, what were the years that you think it was kind of a peak in terms of where you stand as an individual in your experience in the city? What were the years where it's like, man, this is the shit. This is where it's really hitting its groove. Maybe that's still now, but it certainly seems like you would go along the lines of things are hitting a point now. And I've kind of picked up on them definitely before COVID. I, my timeline is definitely within the last two years ish where it's starting to hit a point where, okay, where is this going? You know, is this live music capital thing ending? Because it could end at some point. And it certainly seems like things are changing. But I think you get the gist of what I, I want to get out of you here. But you can yeah. kind of give us your, you know. So um, there's, I'm always careful when I, when I talk about this. Because like when I was younger, you, you talk about it. And you feel like you have any type of point, you just spit it out. Right. But the thing is, for me, my Austin experience, like what I would think of as like the golden years um, for me and like live music and doing all this stuff would be between 2003, four, you know, when I really got in the scene, you know, that, so that's really the start of my experience. But like when I started to notice shit was changing dramatically and probably not in the best way. 
would probably probably been like 2009 or 10. Mm. Um, so now, before I even got here, right? <laughs> before no, <but> like, <laughs> the thing was like when I first started playing on a six street, um, I, I had a, a Viber King daisy chain into a super reverb and just fucking, you know, blasting. And at that time, all the bars up and down 6th Street had their windows wide open. Wide fucking open. Nobody ever said shit. And, you know, my very first fledgling fan base, people would be like, I, because I'd be playing different places every night. Like, I was playing almost every night on 6th Street because, I mean, that's how I, I was surviving. And uh, they would be like, yeah, I just... I can park up by the Capitol. And I just follow the sound down. I find where you're playing because like they could hear me all the way out on the Capitol, you know? Wow. So I remember when they built the frost tower and we were all just like drunk and smoking cigarettes outside of friends. Like, Holy shit. It looks like an owl. Um, but like when I moved here, Austin felt obviously coming from rural Wisconsin, growing up, you know, 10 miles outside of a, town of 5,000 people and it's like the biggest city in any direction for like an hour and a half Austin was obviously a city to me you know like but Austin you know it didn't take very long after like my band got a foothold that I started touring you know going all the way to New York City and everything and and then you realize like this is a big fucking city you know but like Austin always had that vibe of being a big small town and like in the best way possible because you had that sense of community but it was big enough that there was diversity and there was so much going on and everybody embraced the art so much and you know it's interesting because you can't really think of it in terms of like the last four years because when you have like going back to the political uh not even political it's like it's like a social uh situation we've got going on where like if you don't agree with me then like fuck you so like you don't have like people who lean right and lean left hanging out so much together but like i think at that point in austin it was like everybody parties come on let's just fucking like have a good time you know it's like right. let's play the music real fucking loud i made a i made a post about this on uh instagram uh last week i was like you know because I was, I saw some footage from our last show at Threadgills, you know, and Threadgills was one of those places that like, I'd always dreamed of playing there when I was a kid. Uh, when I moved here, I was like, God damn, that's such a great, like lofty place to play. And, uh, you know, it's like, I really miss the place. But I, the thing that I have to be careful about looking back is like how you look back through a lens of where you were at the time and that colors everything that of how you remember it so during that time between like 2004 2009 2010 uh like i was in my mid-20s i was playing guitar for a living uh in the coolest city i've ever found and it was constantly a good time and I couldn't believe my amazingly good fortune to live in this place where this was even possible. And so, yeah, I look back on that, like, God damn, Austin was awesome then, you know, but like, 
it's it's hard to say because like it wasn't um I don't know. I remember the first South by South. I'm going to be all over the place. And like, my answer is not going to be like this, like really succinct. It's fine. These three no, sentences course, sum it up. But it, uh, the first South by Southwest, I remember, I remember standing outside the 311 club on sixth street and there were a few tour vans or like just like vans, you know, band vans, double parked on sixth street. Street wasn't shut down. They didn't even used to, uh, they always used to shut down the street on the weekends, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. Uh, at, I think it was 10 p.m. Like they'd come through and they'd put up barricades. And then 6th Street turned into a pedestrian precinct, but you could still park your car there earlier. So if you were a musician, you'd park your car outside the venue, you'd circle the block and park outside like friends. And then when you're mm-hmm. done, you'd load all your shit out into the van and then my case, you'd shut the van up, you'd lock it, and you'd go get fucking hammered, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and then you'd drive drunk home, which happened more than I'd like to admit. But, like, it did. But I'm just saying that, like, you, and then you'd be like, you come back to your car, and whatever time of night it was, let's say between 10 and 2, you just pull out, you know, slowly, and, like, wait for the crowd to just let you out, and, like, it was all good. But, like, you know, now, it's everything i mean for better for worse you know there's just so many more people here uh i think the when people ask like what what's the problem with austin why doesn't it feel the same it's because in my uh opinion um or my experience i remember the first time i got a noise violation at friends and i was like what the fuck is even going on right now like what the fuck like who's ruining the party like and it was because the Littlefield building used to just be like this parking garage and building stuff like a little mini mall they built this giant fucking high rise and we're like okay so these people want to live fucking downtown like why would you want to live right on 6th street right and so Austin claiming to be the the live music capital of the world for some reason, like I just, you talking about like the incompetence in government. And I was like, wouldn't the live music capital of the world. Now just bear with me here. If you are taking how much money in, in revenue every year off of the backs of working musicians every night of the year, calling yourself the live music capital of the world, of the world, and then you have downtown residences and you don't have a building code that requires soundproof windows. That to me is just like, well, I mean, what the fuck? That, like, that, I mean, you could almost, you know, I want, I want to hear you flesh this out more, but I mean, it really almost is that simple. It almost comes down to the simplicity of the botch of that whole dynamic uh, because that has infiltrated the entire scene ad nauseum. I mean, it's, it's crippled it. Um, but anyway, go ahead. I mean, it really, it, it's such a simple thing, but it really does come down to that. It's such a botch. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's a huge thing, at least, at least in my mind. But my, my, my other point is, is that when, like I was saying before, Austin, when I moved here, Austin, to me, in my glory days in Austin, I wouldn't say my glory days. Like I've had so many great times in Austin 
every year that I've been here. Uh, I mean, the last five years of it have been sober, and that's just fucking more amazing than I could imagine. But like in my 20s, let's say, when like my Sixth Street glory days uh, of playing music, playing music like loud and proud and just like just all over the place, my it became clear to me that like everyone was like they were out enjoying it being in the moment experiencing stuff uh it seemed like the music was respected on a deeper level like people understood that this was special you know um but when what became clear to me especially watching stuff like um south by southwest just exploded you know and acl fest exploded and then all of a sudden i feel like in 2009 or 2010 it felt like a festival one of the festivals came to town because austin's always been this this business hub a convention hub like it's one of those places that corporations are like hey we're having a convention we're gonna have it in Vegas. We're gonna have it in Austin. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just one of those places. So there's, right. it was such a. If you understand that, and I understood that very early on, and so I was like, I built up an email list, starting in friends. You know, every time I played on Sixth Street, I had this email list there, and you know, I built up a fan base worldwide. And like, so I'm just so thankful that I had any type of foresight on that. Um, and if we're going to talk about Sixth Street real quick, uh, I've had a few young musicians be like, "Hey, man, like, what, what's your, what do you, what do you think about Sixth Street? You think like people should pay more? You think like the the clubs are fucking you over? You think like, what do you think about that?" I'm like, "I think that you're not thinking big picture enough. Like, it's kind of like if you were to read the Bible and you look at, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not like pushing religion on anybody because I, you know, but like." there's a lot of wisdom and shit like lines like when somebody's trying to get out of paying taxes and jesus is like you know give to caesar that which belongs to caesar that's how i look at sixth street respect sixth street for what the fuck it is and what you can get out of it you know what i mean like just like don't try to increase your 10 percent cut from the bar because it's going to be 10 percent in tips you know that's sixth street like give to sixth street what Sixth Street asks, but be a smart motherfucker and get out of Sixth Street what you came to get. You know, if you're going down there wanting to be a lifer, then you've already failed. So you should stop complaining to anybody, you know? Or if you went down there to be a lifer, then cool, you're doing it. Don't complain. Um, anyway, that was a little tangent I just want to throw in there because as an Austin musician who's spent as much time on Sixth Street as anybody, just, I mean, get smart. Um, but anyway, as far as Austin and the, and the, the big shift and where it's at now and where it's headed, the thing was, like, there used to be this thing, and I'm sure that it's still somewhat there, but, like, the big thing on South Congress every month was First Thursday. And everyone would go down to First Thursday on Congress. Congress, I mean, it was, like, everybody... Austin was a big, small town. Like you might not know everybody, but everybody looked familiar, you know, like people who went out like, Hey, you know, it's like, 
it's like if you see like a cute girl you know you, you might see her again you know sure sure yeah. so uh super cool scene there was now you know uh sea boys used to be this place called trophies and they just mm -hmm. had these fucking uh badass burgers and picnic tables and stuff and anyway i'm not trying to uh get all sentimental looking back or anything but um the thing was it was like just such a cool vibe it was just such a cool open free relaxed very artistic friendly very you know friendly uh just like this really cool community and like you know you'd have like a music community like you have in dallas which is very much known for at least it was at that time for being like very competitive very kind of dramatic a little bit uh much more um like with guitar players they'd be like let's cut heads kind of thing and like be very mm -hmm. competitive and then for better or for worse austin's always been that kind of laid back like, yo what's up you know it's all good like love it love the sound of your band you know like you know and you know you have something like nashville where everything's just like pro you know like everyone like shows up they know the song they know the changes you know but like yeah there's something you there's a lot that you can gain there but there's a lot you can lose to it so the only thing is like my biggest takeaway when i saw it happening was when austin it was like when the world caught on it's like austin is badass as fuck dude if i could live anywhere i'd want to live in austin and so the people who i guess had the reins in austin uh were like hey we could make some fucking money here so um i would say the last 10 years in austin to me have felt like a take the money and run situation you know it's like hey man these motherfuckers are gonna move here so fucking let's take the money and run like let's there's less about saving that in austin which makes it cool or has made it cool for years and just seeing how many of these motherfuckers we can stack on top of each other right here's the big takeaway when you take a lifestyle no matter what it is you know but especially one like austin you take a lifestyle and you try to make it into a commodity it destroys it immediately it just vaporizes you can't do that like it's just it's like you're trying to sell this experience but by putting a price tag on the experience it just evaporates you know it's like when i moved to austin it was super fucking cheap you know it was so cheap to live here that's why one of the reasons it was so cool is because all the cool people who aren't good with money could live here you know like i mean that's it like i mean yeah i can't I, until like 2009 or whatever, I don't think I'd ever paid more than $400 a month in rent anywhere. Mm. Wow. I, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, you, you talk about so much cool. So you put it so well in so many different ways, just to go back to a couple of things, but the, the sixth street thing, I love the way you compare that to the Caesar thing. I think that's a, uh, that was always my kind of approach. And, you know, I think I, I, if I'm being honest, I think sixth street hit a point of no return a couple of years ago. I, I just think it's, the, the, the tourism is not there anymore. It's built, it was built around tourism and then the tourism evaporated from it. Um, so once, once it hit that point, I was like, I don't know how to see how this can bounce back. But, but what the chunky years I did have there and it does, and I, and I, everything you're saying makes sense time-wise. I moved here in 2011. So I was, the way I see it based on your 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? Evaluation of it is I, I really caught kind of the the five or six years following that 2009 kind of turning point, whatever. Right. Um, I was kind of in on it. I, I was glad to be in on it. It was fantastic. And even as it was turning into this new thing, you know, the noise, the noise stuff put put aside, even though that's a big thing. You know, there were still all these new cool places opening up and there were new yeah. opportunities for musicians. I, I mean, just to clarify real quick, I, I'm not saying that like, I, there hasn't been like really cool shit. Sure, no. Like, I mean, I've, I think I stopped playing on 6th Street in 2016. Something that seems yep. about right. 16, 17, like, something like that. When I was just like, hey man, it's just time to move on because like I'm not, I'm selling out like Antones and shit like nights in a row. So like I don't, and and which is great. I mean, it took a, a while to get there, but like everyone happens at a different time. But like, man, yeah. Every time I played on 6th Street, I had an amazing time. It's just like, it's not so much, it's just like touring, right? It's like, it's not really the two to four hours a night you spend on stage. It's the 20 fucking hours around it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, that's where tours are made and that's where like, you know, we're at with Austin. Like, okay, so yeah, like I still love playing on stage. I still love playing in Austin. I love, but like, why do I have to sit in traffic for like fucking like four hours a day? Like, why? what is mm -hmm. that all about? Like, why? why does it that like none of my friends can afford to live here anymore? You know, it's anyway. I'm yeah, sorry. And it, and it, no, no, that's fine. I, I, I totally clear on that. And, and, I, and just to kind of finish off the, my thoughts and your thoughts together was, you know, it's just, it's just seems like an inevitability. I mean, aside from the botch of the, the noise stuff, which really seems to have been instrumental in, in some unfortunate declines in, in the culture itself. Um, the inevitability of cool things not lasting forever. I mean, the way you described it as so fucking cool, it, it was that everyone knew it as that. And for you to be in the center of the hurricane of coolness, you know, you're very fortunate. I consider myself someone lucky to have, you know, experienced a peripheral, you know, half decade of just super cool Austin before whatever, but yeah. you were really in the eye of a hurricane of, of just super, the coolest city in any way you want to look at one of the coolest fucking cities in the planet and the inevitability of more people wanting a piece of that more money taking bites out of that it's pretty much inevitable i guess it's it'll be interesting moving forward you you see the the you know the coolest cities in the world whether it's new orleans los angeles new york they go through stages right i mean new york is the most dangerous place in the in the world and then it becomes a Disney super safe and, and it, it's got these romantic parts when it's dangerous and it's it's extra fun when it's safe or whatever. And LA has its, so we'll see if Austin can, you know, go through stages or if it will just kind of homogenize into this tech town of who knows. But just to kind of wrap things up, I want to hear you, you personally, you know, more industry related stuff. And what do you have planned for yourself uh, moving forward? I know you mentioned now your arms are feeling better. You've been able to rest, but I know I gotta believe you're you're still you know itching to play and what do you have oh, planned yeah. for the next chunk chunk of months and and you know industry wise how do you see things going? Well, uh, so we have these these shows coming up right now, which is very interesting. I'm not like putting too much, right? Too much into, hope and stock into it. Yeah, just because like I mean I I I have no qualms about like pulling it if uh, the numbers go sideways. 
and it looks kind of like they are, but like, you know, it's going up right now in two to three weeks could be going down. Mm -hmm. um, I guess we'll know when this airs in two to three weeks, right? Uh, so yeah. as far as moving forward is concerned right now, it's interesting because like a lot of musicians, when it hit, you know, we're all like, okay, live streams, live streams, live streams, like tip me, please. And, you know, it's like, dude, just get it while you can, you know, because right. to me, I, I saw musicians uh, in Austin going live like three times a day, you know, like, and I was like, holy shit, dude, that, that well's going to run dry if you keep running the bucket down. Yep. Uh, but I know that a lot of it, um, everyone's different. And uh, some people did that to maintain their sanity while they're locked into quarantine because that was a new thing, you know, like, yeah. Uh, I've never been around to see a pandemic mismanaged. So, I mean, what the fuck? This is brand new for all of us. But um, the, my point is that, like, everyone's kind of had to um, reassess their revenue streams, you know, uh, to put it a very business-savvy sounding way. Um, but, like, you had to get the grease somehow, you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, for me, it was just like... Uh, I was lucky enough to be in a place where I wasn't like really just dying, you know, like I, I could, I could kind of do what I wanted. So, you know, like I've, I've got a monetized YouTube channel uh, for the band. And so I just, I started making some videos about like some of the shit I'm working on. Cause like a lot of people who know me know that I, I build a lot of my own pedals and, you know, tweak my shit and whatever. So I, I kind of got into that stuff a little bit and uh, I'll be making more of it, but uh, my management got me into starting a Patreon and I'm new to it. I, this is November is the first month of it I've done. Uh, I will be doing, I haven't done jack shit for it yet. Uh, but you know, it's just, it's an interesting push to push me into doing a bunch of stuff I've always kind of wanted to do because I like, uh, from over the years, you know, every time we play shows, there's obviously guitar players there asking me about my rig, about my pedals, about my guitars, about my amps, any type of setup, how to wire stuff. And so, like, over the years, I've become very, um, I, I don't know how to say it, like, not like, like, I like to teach, but, like, I kind of like to do, like, walkthroughs on stuff. I'm like, and... For me, it does save me a lot of time because in the end, like somebody can be like, hey, you know, how do you do this with your Leslie? Because I'm known for using Leslie's now. And it's like, well, I'm so happy you asked that because that's something I've explained a hundred million times, but now you can look it up on a link, you know? So um, the Patreon, like, yeah, it's definitely a cool revenue stream for me. But at the same time, it's just such a cool kick in the pants to be like, hey, you've always wanted to like make all these videos about how to like get the absolute most out of Leslie or how to like bias your amp or something or, you know, like play some weird covers or like put out some playlists for people to listen to. It's just like, man, this is really cool. I, you know, who knows when I would have got around to doing it without this. So that's a cool thing. Uh, but as far as actually making music is concerned, um, I'm, I'm writing quite a bit right now. Uh, I've been working on getting together with Kalu James and uh, 
JT Holt, we're working on some stuff in the studio. Um, and then, uh, you know, my, my uh, relationship with Nancy Wilson is still good, you know, um, but it's just long distance now. So uh, we've been kind of been like ships passing the night lately, but, you know, we're talking about getting back together and doing, doing some stuff together. So um, I don't know. Um, I have randomly, I'm getting some like, hey, would you be down to doing these dates in August? Like, it's just such a weird idea. You know, I mean, first off, like, I love the idea of planning so far ahead. But at the same time, I'm just like, well, sure, anything sounds good right now. Like, I'm, is it going to happen? Who knows? But I don't know. Uh, my thing right now is just like, uh, it, it's so fun to play music right now. Like whenever I get together with my guys and uh, it's, I feel like I'm tapping into something that like might've been lost. Um, I'll say one, one really great thing about the pandemic and the lockdown and the quarantine and the death of the touring industry, at least for a while, um, is that especially like going back to like, you know, people who play, who tour all the time or play on Sixth Street all the time or, you know, a combination of both, but like you're always doing this thing, right? Like you're always doing this one thing. And, and I know that you can relate to this uh, especially because I mean, like I've seen your touring schedule, like you tour like a dog. And it's like, the thing is you get into doing this thing and you get these habits or you get these just like, I, I don't know if they'd be so much, they start out as like either coping mechanisms or something you think you need to do to achieve the goal that you're going after. Um, and then they become habits or maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. But like, it, it's been really good for me to step back from it all and be like, okay, do I really need to be like, why do I think like this? Why do I think that I, like this one thing I'm doing is something that's even benefiting me in any way, shape or form other than like, you know, I, it's just, just weird. Like you, you get to really, if you really can step back from yourself and I mean, this is obviously goes beyond just being a musician, just being a human being, but like you just really just step back from what you do day to day and just take an objective view of what you're doing. And that's what was so great about like the lockdown and the quarantine is because like you have nothing else to do, you know, like, and like, you can actually look back and be like, what would I normally be doing right now? And be like, of the stuff that I was doing, what if it was actually crucial to what I'm doing or necessary? And what if it was just like kind of staticky bullshit behavior, you know, like, and for me, I found like a lot of things and it wasn't necessarily like, something I was doing as, as much as how I was thinking about what I was doing. Does that make sense? I mean, like, it's just, it's yeah. really yeah. It's not like a deeper level of like, no, it's been, it's been a common theme with talking to people through this, the musicians through this whole thing. A lot of people are saying very similar vibes in slightly different ways or the same ways. So it, it, it does resonate and it, it's, it's been a common thread for sure. And I, I, I can speak to that as well um and it's it has been this whatever you want to call it the silver lining of it or or the good part of it but no i i totally get what you're saying 
yeah it's it's kind of weird to say that stuff too because you're like hey man at least two hundred thirty thousand people didn't die in vain i had this kind of somewhat epiphany you know like sure yeah it's like oh yeah at least i'm doing shit different now but i, I don't know yeah but yeah it's we live in a very weird time and i mean like i said this is thursday after election day like this is the weirdest fucking time i've ever seen you know yeah and i've been in some weird situations you know but <laughs> we're in austin baby we know weird yeah. but yeah well eric thank you so much for sharing so much man i really appreciate your time and your thoughts and everything so thank you and yes, i feel like yeah. we, we we feel like we could have done this for six more hours but we got lives to live and, and maybe another time down the road but thank you so much i really appreciate Anytime, it man i hope to see you soon dude i hope so too eric take care buddy all right man later all right peace